Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Properties don't just fall on your lap. You're not going to be able to go find them on the MLS. So your ability to understand what marketing is critical and how to do that marketing and then go to how to capture those leads your entire business hinges on that. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, are you looking for some financing? Maybe some more money to do your fix and flip projects? Are you looking to grow your fix and flip business? Well, guess what? Got a solution for you. It's Fun That Flip. You know Fun That Flip. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the show multiple times. He's a friend of mine, and they love working with the best ever listeners. They provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days that quick. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, Go to fundthatflip.com. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Jeff Cohn and Clint Bartlett. How are you two doing? Really good, Joe. Super pumped to be here. Great, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, nice to have you two on the show. A little bit about... The gentlemen who we're talking to, they are with, let's see, Omaha's Elite Real Estate Group. It's Nebraska's number one selling residential team for the last three years. Went from 80 transactions to 600 transactions in five years and based in Omaha, Nebraska. So with that being said, you two want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus. Yeah, absolutely. So our real estate team launched five years ago. This will be our sixth year. We're on track to do about a little over 750 transactions this year uh, in 2017. But my business partner, Clint Bartlett, who's on the call with us, he and I started a company last year called Dynamic Properties with the intent to buy rental properties and then also flip and wholesale and wholetail. So it's interesting. A lot of people listening are probably already in that world, but for anyone listening that's not, it's really challenging working another job and flipping a house at the same time. You might have some people that identify with that. And so I knew personally, I didn't want to have to do the legwork and all the day-to-day management of a flip and or rental acquisition business, but I knew all the strategies around doing it. I just needed the right person. And when Clint Bartlett ended up moving back to Omaha, this is where we grew up and where we met a couple years ago, I said to him, I said, take your full-time job that you're already doing and help me do a couple flips a year, just working nights and weekends. And if we can make good enough money at it, 
maybe you'll be at a point where you could quit your full-time job altogether and go all in. So Clint, why don't you take it from there? Last summer, Clint quit his full-time job and why don't you share with the listeners what's happened? Yeah. One year ago, I quit my full-time corporate role here in Omaha. Jeff and I, to that point in 2014, we did three deals. This is all just part-time. 2015, we did five deals. Then 2016, halfway through the year, I quit my job. We did 14 deals last year. We kept five of those as rentals. And part of our strategy coming into this year was to really keep about one third of every deal would be a keeper. We'd hold Mm -hmm. it as a rental. 2017, year to date, we've done 18 deals and we have kept eight of those. And this year we've also bought a few multifamilies. So this year we're at about 20 doors uh, that we've purchased as rentals. Is this in Omaha or all of Nebraska? This is the greater Omaha metro area. We have a couple of properties that are a little outside of the Omaha metro, but generally speaking, yes, Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, our original strategy going into 2017 with Clint as a full-time person, we also have a superintendent that oversees the job sites who's in a full-time capacity, and then he has an assistant in a full-time capacity. So really, we have three people full-time with Clint providing oversight to everything. My role is strategy. I have like a weekly meeting with Clint. And then Clint's holding his super and his super's assistant accountable. But where Clint and I found some great synergy is the fact that I have a real estate team of 30 agents who have been selling real estate for a very long time and being very effective at that. Up until 2017, a majority of my agents focused on three lead buckets. One's their sphere of influence, two's outbound prospecting, and three is internet leads. But I had a few key people that I thought would work better with rental acquisition leads rather than internet leads. So they converted a third of their residential sales to rental acquisition. So we now have three full-time rental acquisitionists, two in Omaha, one in Lincoln, Nebraska, that we're sending all of our rental opportunities to. And where the synergy really comes into play, one, they know how to evaluate all the properties because they've been selling houses for a long time. But number two is every appointment they go on, if there's not a fit from a flipping standpoint or rental acquisition standpoint, they can just simply list the house traditionally. And then our investment company can charge them a 50% referral fee. Mm -hmm. So you've evolved the business model and you've also incorporated it so that you can gain a competitive advantage and then involve more people. The typical, maybe not typical deal, but just an example of a deal. Can you give us a case study of bought it for this much, put in this much, sold it for this much? Just give us a real example. Yeah. Our average deal will buy at somewhere in between 60 and 80,000. I mean, it's usually about anywhere from 15 to $25,000 input in terms of rehab. And then we try to be anywhere from the 125 to 175,000 price point for our ARV. So Generally speaking, this year we're averaging about $25,000 profit per deal, but we love to buy under the $100,000 price point because as you know, there's less square footage, there's less risk when you're a lower down payment. So when we can, we stay at a lower price point. That's helpful for the types of deals. Now, can you give a specific example of one deal and just give us the numbers of that particular deal? Sure. We could even take one of our most recent ones. We bought a house in a decent part of Omaha. So we try to focus on areas that are good school districts where we know they're going to have good resale value. But we bought a little three bedroom, one bath home for $40,000. And this was an off market deal that actually came through our network, through our accountant who knew somebody It was an estate that they needed to get rid of quickly and it was distressed. So we took on the project. We just actually sold it yesterday for $125,000. And I think we had to give a few thousand dollars back in closing. We closed on it yesterday. We closed yesterday. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. What'd you buy it for and how much did you put into it again? We bought that one for 40. We put about 22 into it 
and sold it for 125. So that was a good one. That one ups our, our overall average. I think we'll clear about 45 to 50 on that one. What would you attribute the higher than average profit on that deal to? That's purchase price. Mm-hmm. Most investors in Omaha, if you were to go buy that even at the auction at the courthouse, you'd have to pay 80 for that house. And we were able just to get a great deal because it was off market and it was a, a direct buyer to seller transaction. It was the seller's life situation. You'll attribute low purchase prices every single time to the seller's life situation. So if it's bank owned and we're in a buyer's market, banks will give their properties away at 50 cents on the dollar. When you're in a seller's market, we're not seeing as much success at the floor at the courthouse, those are usually going really close to market here in Oman, what I've heard from other investors across the country. So we're having the most success right now, tapping into our sphere of influence, letting everyone know we can buy now in cash in seven days or in 600 days, whatever that works best for the client. We don't really care if we have to sit around and wait. But our unique acquisition process right now has been using virtual assistants out of the Philippines to acquire property. So we have about eight full-time callers through thousandcallsaday.com that are making all of our outbound calls for us. And then we reroute all of the lead opportunities to our acquisition team in Southern California, Lincoln, Nebraska, and Omaha, Nebraska. And then we have those agents going out. And that's how we've acquired probably 80 or 90% of our properties so far this year. Uh, Thanks for mentioning that. Let's dig in there. So walk us through the process for how that works. A thousand calls a day. You essentially reach out to them. There's a link on the site and you let them know you want a caller. It takes about 30 days to get the caller onboarded. And then they get the data through several different sources. One of which we use is exact data. And they have predictable analytics that go through about 100 to 150 different quadrants to determine who's most likely to sell below market value. And so we bought a list from them of 50,000 people for around $3,000. So then we take that list and we break it off into segments and we give each caller around 2,000 phone numbers a month. And the expectation is that they call through every single phone number a total of 10 times in a 30-day period. And once they've called through someone 10 times with no one answering, they move that person off the list and they add someone new to the list. The list is always revolving. And what we found is in one month, 22,000 outbound calls through 1,000 calls a day gets us about a 10% connect ratio with the decision maker. So when we have about 2,200 people that are answering the phone, out of 2,200 people, we have six people, six, that say, yeah, we'd sell our property. And out of those six, the acquisitionists on average have only thought about half of them are worth our time to even go out to the property to do a video and to run all the comps and really make a determination as to if we want to make an offer. We always make offers if we go to a house. Every property should be purchased. 99% of the time. So out of the three deals we go to and we make offers on, we've been averaging one acquisition a month. So breaking it all the way from 22,000 calls to 2,200 contacts to six people saying they want to sell to three people letting us in their door that we actually were interested in to making three low ball offers. Usually it's what, 70% ARV? In between 50 and 70. And then one of those takes the offer. It still ends up only being $1,800 is the cost of the caller. So we're spending 1800 bucks to get a deal that on average, we've been netting about $20,000 per transaction, which is a 10x return on our overall acquisition strategy. You mentioned that it takes about 30 days to get the caller up to speed. What's that training process look like? So that this isn't just like me pitching this third-party company. I'm one of the owners in Thousand Calls. Shameless plug. Ah, <laughs> exactly. <got it>. Okay. <laughs> but I actually didn't use callers for myself through Thousand Calls just until January of this year, and we've been around for a couple of years, but we started learning about some of our clients that were using this for rental acquisition. 
some top guys across the country that I'm not going to name because they didn't give me their permission. So because of a lot of the successes we saw them experiencing, I said to Clint, hey, let's try this strategy in Omaha and see if it works. And we've been only doing it for about six months. And it's been wildly successful. So we're just going to continue to scale out. But the training process is, number one, we get them synced up with our acquisition sales team in the Philippines. And so they're listening to live calls for 30 days, day after day, to learn and listen to the dialogues that the callers are making that are already working for us. And then we're training them on the CRM. We use, in residential real estate, a lot of agents use Boomtown. It's one of the top CRMs. You can use anything, Salesforce. Real Geeks, there's lots of systems out there, but it's a place where all of these leads live so we can have documentation of every phone call, every text message, every email if we have an email address, et cetera. And then we also have my dialogue coach in Omaha that coaches all my agents, does a live stream every Wednesday at 10 o'clock central through another business I own called livestream.com. It's erslivestream.com. And what that does is it gives us the ability to train the callers the exact same way that we would train our own individual agents so that they're then empowered with the exact dialogues that my agents would use when engaging with leads. And so it's a pretty robust training process in that 30-day period. And some people come out of it quicker. Some people take a little bit longer, but they can be hitting the phones within 30 days. So Jeff, it sounds like you've got your hands in multiple cookie jars. How do you focus your time and prioritize your time? I have about 10 businesses and my focus is always on helping people become leaders within all of the different organizations. And so I time block, number one. So anything I want to do, I put it on a calendar so I make sure that I do it. The thing that I have passion about is helping people grow within their positions and then taking on the higher level strategy conversations and decisions. I love the marketing side of all the different businesses, Facebook advertising, Google ads. I like all the analytics. I like to get into a lot of the numbers. I use the same CPA for all of my businesses. And so she provides me with a monthly PNL statement. And so I'm always looking at the numbers because they tell you a lot of information. And so I guess time blocking would be the easiest short answer for how you keep everything organized. You've got 10 businesses. Which one is most and which one is least profitable? So most profitable is the real estate business. It's been around the longest. Last year, we made $2.6 million gross commission income. And I kept 30% of that. Least profitable would have to be the one of the newest ventures. I'd probably pick my insurance business. I started it about eight months ago. So I own a property and casualty insurance business. And it's only the least profitable because we just started. And in the insurance business, you make your money based on residuals. And you have to be around a couple of years for it to really generate a profit. Have you started a company that you have identified is not a good long-term play? So you've stopped it? I'm sure I have. Let me think of it. The reason I ask is you've got 10 businesses. So when does one not make sense and how do you identify that? Great question. So most of the businesses that I started, I was able to direct leads to those businesses through the success of Omaha's Elite. Not all of them. So like thousand calls a day can grow independent of Omaha's Elite success. So can our flipping business. So can a rental acquisition business and multifamily acquisition. But a lot of the other businesses are title and escrow, insurance, coaching. The coaching business can live on its own as well, but having a lot of sales in the residential space gives us a little bit more credibility when people are thinking of joining us. One of the biggest fails was actually a test. Everything we do, we believe strongly in failing forward. So last year, the big buzz in the residential space was talking about expansion. And I know there's a lot of investors that want to move into different markets and expand as well. And we don't think that it necessarily doesn't work. We just challenge the idea that we think that there's enough opportunity 
right in your own backyard that maybe is not being tapped the way it needs to be. And so last year we said, hey, let's try this expansion idea out. And I started real estate teams in Salt Lake City, Boston, Massachusetts, Lincoln, Nebraska, and San Diego, California. And all four of the teams gave me a positive return on investment. None of the teams gave me a positive return on my time. So while it was worth the investment monetarily, it was not worth the investment from time. And had I just put all the energy I had put in all those locations into my team in Omaha, I think we'd be a year or two further along than where we're at right now. We are growing right now, but obviously creating a second location takes a lot of time from you. So I would say the same thing from an investment standpoint. We are actually expanding. We're in Southern California right now, but it's a lot easier to hold someone accountable when they have to come to a physical face-to-face accountability meeting where you can actually drive to the properties that they're putting offers in on once a month and just kind of check their work, check their numbers, make sure that you think what they're doing is right. So it's all about the people if you are going to expand far away. But my worry always with any expansion of any business, if it's not a franchise and you don't have it franchised, is that that individual with whom you expand with at any point can take all that intellectual property and just simply do your strategy on their own. Based on your experience as real estate investors, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I'll go first. My best real estate advice ever is that your entire real estate investing business hinges on your ability to market for deals. Any investor who tries to do it full-time knows that properties don't just fall in your lap. You're not going to be able to go find them on the MLS. So your ability to understand what marketing is critical and how to do that marketing and then go to how to capture those leads, your entire business hinges on that. I think a lot of people who are new in the business think that being able to rehab a property to to make it look really nice is the key part, but that is really just an afterthought when you look at the marketing end of any investing business. And just a follow-up question before Jeff gets into his best ever advice. What would you recommend to an investor who has a bit of experience, so a couple deals under their belt, but wants to take their marketing for deals to another level? My best advice would be to listen to some awesome podcasts, the best ever podcast being an example, but there is so much free content out there about how to go market on a budget, whether it be bandit signs starting out or doing a simple mailer. With the age of today, there's so much content out there that is free from a Google search to a podcast. You can learn a lot. What are the top three lead generators that you're doing to get your deals? Jeff talked about our calling process. That is 90% of what we do. This year, otherwise, it has been our network. We've had people within our network bring deals to us that know what we're doing because we talk about what we're doing all the time. Got it. Like the accountant and the estate sale you mentioned earlier. Exactly. Yeah. I have a huge database. I have 60,000 people in my network. So we use a company called Viral Marketing and we create a video every single month that gets sent out to all of those individuals. So all the different business entities I own, I can create a message that goes out to my database and let them know about the value that whatever that business venture that I'm in offers to them. So a lot of people know people in distress. They know homeowners that need to get out of their properties quick. And we want them to think of us as the solution to that problem. The biggest challenge is just getting that messaging out. And obviously you can do it a lot of different ways. And we feel like the caller way is probably one of our best. Another one that Clint didn't bring up was we have a few of the top short sale agents in Omaha as agents on my real estate team. And so every time a short sale hits the market, we always go in with an offer every Mm -hmm. single time. So that's been another strategy where we picked up a lot of houses last year. We're doubling down on the call center. We've got a lot of success with that and we're not selling anything. So for those out there listening that are worried, you can't be doing that. 
my attorney says there's no issue because we're calling to offer them money for their house. So we're not calling selling them anything. We want them to sell us something. Mm-hmm. But we don't call cell phone numbers. We just call landlines and exact data can control all of that. So my answer, Joe, in terms of what's the best thing someone can do, first is to just do it. I'll steal Nike's slogan. I know so many investors that we've met at like RIA or have reached out to us for lunches that will ask us for our time and advice and they've never done one deal. And I know there's people listening today that just haven't done that first deal. Even if you do the first deal and you lose money, you will have learned more in that first deal than what you're probably going to learn in listening to a hundred podcasts. No offense to Joe because he's a great question asker. I'm on probably five podcasts a week and Joe, you've done an awesome job already on this call. So my number one thing is just go do your first deal because that's how you're going to learn. It's the school of hard knocks. And then number two, if birds of a feather flock together, surround yourself with the type of people you want to be like. And as much as you think that the people that are succeeding at the highest level might not be willing to give you the time of day, it's actually the very opposite. We find like the wannabe investors are the ones that think that they have private ideas that they're not going to share with other people. It's the ones that have that abundant mindset that are sharing on podcasts and giving all their information out for free that are succeeding at a high level and are willing to sit down with you. So find the person in your market that's doing really big things and align yourself with them. And that's the best way to learn and to grow. You two ready for the best ever lightning round? Go. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, are you looking for some financing, maybe some more money to do your fix and flip projects? Are you looking to grow your fix and flip business? Well, guess what? Got a solution for you. It's Fund That Flip. You know Fund That Flip. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the show multiple times. He's a friend of mine, and they love working with the best ever listeners They provide short-term fix-and-flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days that quick. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Okay, best ever book you've read? I'll go first. Unbroken written by Laura Hildebrand about Louis Zamperini, World War II experience. How to win friends and influence people, Dale Carnegie. Best ever deal that you've done that you haven't mentioned already? We had a wholesale deal that we bought a big old mansion that we intended to rehab. Instead, we just put it on the market in as-is condition and made $80,000. So it was a good turn in three months. And I'll take the one before we had started Dynamic Properties about a year and a half ago. We got a deal through a friend of a friend for $40,000. And Clint and I were going to flip it and put about a 40000 in and list it for one twenty. And we were getting ready to go on a family trip to Mexico. And I said, hey, what would happen if we just wholetailed it, put it on the market for a week, take closed bids, and we review all the offers when we get home. And we sold it for 82000 and made forty two. So we didn't have to go through all the work of fixing it up and got the same net out of it. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? You know, we've lost money on a deal. Joe is only a few thousand dollars. The biggest mistake on that deal was the length of time on the project. It took us way too much time. But that's not a huge regret of mine. My biggest regret are a couple of deals that I passed on because one reason or another, whether we were tied up in too many other transactions, 
I passed on them. And looking back on a couple of deals that I passed on, I now wish that I had either owned those properties as rentals or had flipped them. We bought a property last year. I was actually the decision maker on this one, and I don't go to very many properties. Clint was going to be out of town, and it was one of the, what was it, like a tax sale? An IRS, IRS sale. IRS sells a few houses a year in Douglas County. So I went to it. We picked it up for really low below market, like 80000 below market, but it had been smoked in excessively. Like everything was yellow on the ceilings and all the drapes and everything. So Clint researched as much as he could on how to fix the smoking issue. And we did a lot of due diligence to get the smoke out and we never got the smoke smell out. It still smells smoky and it was on the market for about four months. And in the end, we're like, screw it. We threw our hands in the air and just rented it out. So we're hoping whoever rented it from us that they take on all the smoke smell when they move out. So we'll see what it's like. They're going to vacate this summer. What's the best of way you like to give back? I'd love to say that I was giving back all the time. I'm a pretty selfish person. But when I do give back, Joe, I think working in the food pantry Downtown is one of the best ways to get back because you're helping people with essentials of life, uh, basic necessities. Clint and I both are involved with the Boy Scouts of America. We're both Eagle Scouts. So we do a lot within our church, volunteer work with Boy Scouts, camping, campouts. I serve a lot with kids. So youth 12 years old to 18 years old, I spend about an hour a week. But I think the greatest way to give back, it's like you can give a man a fish or teach him to fish. For me, it's giving people advice on how to scale their businesses. That's where my greatest passion is. I have a podcast called The Team Building Podcast by Jeff Cohn, and that's where I give back. It's my greatest contribution, I feel like, to help people take their lives to a level they never dreamed possible. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you two? On Facebook, you can just search Jeff Cohn. That's how you get in touch with me. It's just J-E-F-F-C-O-H-N on Facebook, or you can email Jeff at omahaselite.com, O-M-A-H-A-S-E-L-I-T-E.com. And for me, for Clint, it's Clint at dpomaha.com. That's DP Dynamic Properties, Clint at dpomaha.com. Well, thanks for talking about your business models. Shoot, you've got 10 businesses across the board, Jeff and Clint. Thanks for going deep with us on some case studies and acquisition criteria. I love to hear when people are fixing and flipping that they're setting money aside and pumping that back into long-term rentals. I think that's a trap that a lot of fix and flippers get into where they just keep churning and they're not building a portfolio for a long-term growth and wealth. And then also talking about how you're getting the leads. Granted, there's some conflict of interest there with that, but I appreciate the disclosure. But really, if it's working, it's working. That's the most important thing. And then lastly, I love your point about focusing on helping people become leaders. That is a major focus. And that's something that I'm going to implement in my business to just reinforce that mentality. So thank you personally for that. So thanks for being on the show, you two. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Have a good one. Appreciate it. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.